Welcome to The Working Ant with me, your host and coach, Rami Balut. I'm going to share with you secrets and strategies you only wish you knew years ago to accelerate your career today. This is practical stuff, no fluff. My mission is to create a new generation of leaders that brings out the best in people. This is where passions and profession yield profitability. Welcome to The Working Ant. Let's go ahead and get started. And so in true fashion, I will now begin our time together today with a quote. We cannot control the impressions others have of us and the effort to do so only debases our character. So we cannot control the impressions others have of us and the effort to do so only debases our character. And that's by Epictetus. And that quote really resonates with me because a lot of times we're really trying to position ourselves in a way that is obviously impressionable in nature, you know, articulate in nature, influential and impactful in nature. And at times, you know, many of times, we just don't align ourselves accordingly with the audience. You know, we, we can't get it right every single time, right? We have an idea of what it is we want ourselves to be, the perception of who it is that we are. And we want to align that in our every single day with how other people actually view us. We don't get it right a lot. You know, we don't get it right often. At times, for some of us who consistently garner feedback, we actually may be surprised at times of the positive feedback we receive when we felt we didn't do our best. Um, and this happens time and time again, by the way, it happens quite often with my with yours truly. There are times where I'll run a workshop and I'll say, my gosh, Rami, you blew it. That's it. It's over. And then the feedback that I'll actually receive is like, wow, this was absolutely great. And I'm like, how on earth did I, did I miss that? Was I not being able to gauge this audience? But nevertheless, I think this quote is extremely important because when we do try to make an effort towards those that already have an impression of us, I think Epictetus here was right in that it does debase our character because, you know, so much of who it is that we are, you know, must then actually change in an unnatural way to alter this impression that people actually have of us. And this goes back to a lot of sessions that we've had where we talked about the peak end rule, for example, how our, how our last impression is much more important than our first. But going so far in our session towards uh, with one another today, I want to talk about a few statistics from an article that really sort of like, you know, just got me angry and threw me off. And I want to focus on something specific in that article that I know that will be beneficial to you listening today. Um, in fact, the statistics themselves, I think, will be quite shocking um, and eye-opening and in some way a little, a little negative here. But nevertheless, this was a study done I believe at first at Brandeis University, it could have been at Harvard University, um, somewhere in the early 80s by a woman uh, by the name of Teresa Amabile. And she actually wrote an article uh, on something called Brilliant But Cruel. That was the title of the article. It's called Brilliant But Cruel. And it, and it basically shows uh, so much of this bias that we actually have towards specific individuals that do specific things. And I'm going to get into exactly what those actually, what, what those things are. So 
what she actually talks about it is as follows. She says, you know, negative evaluators, meaning if you were my client presenting in front of this large audience, if you were a negative evaluator, which is what this person had to experience, you're actually seen as more intelligent. You're actually seen as more competent. Um, in fact, you actually are perceived as someone who really knows what it is that they're talking about. Imagine that. So someone who is actually a negative commentator, someone who treats you negatively and perhaps shames you publicly is in fact being perceived by the audience as more intelligent. And I know this is like a really sort of like big statement here. I would encourage you, of course, to read this article if you can get your hands on it. I think you may have to purchase it from the Harvard Business Review, or you actually may be able to find it online. It's called Brilliant But Cruel. But it basically talks about why a lot of people comment in particular ways that are negative. And one way uh, which Teresa actually mentioned was that when people feel insecure about their actual role, and they're not exactly sure about uh, the stability of their role or, the, or their role itself, they will typically lean towards more negative commentary and negative reviews. So imagine this. So imagine like you were actually my client and you went and experienced this. And the real true reason why you were put in such a situation was that your boss, the people that you actually reported into, actually felt quite insecure about their role and as a result of that insecurity, they actually had negative commentary about your presentation. Now, whether or not your presentation was deserving of negative commentary here is sort of like the outlier in this, in this particular use case, right? I cannot confirm whether my client's presentation was deserving of negative or scrutinous commentary, but what I can confirm is that those individuals that feel insecure about what it is that they do the work and the stability of their roles are more than likely to have negative commentary towards something that may not be deserving of it. It's so interesting, right? I mean, like, so I think the exact sort of statement here was that if those were individuals that had higher competency or were insecure about their jobs, you know, they were more likely to give negative reviews. And it actually says, and I quote here, in efforts to preserve their self-esteem, they become negatively critical of the intelligence or intellectual work of others. So can you actually imagine that? Like, you know, for, for yours truly, for those of you that know me really well, when I, when I, when I read this, uh, you know, when I know about this and when I hear it and it reminds me of this, you know, I, I, I certainly, you know, become at the very, very least very agitated. Right. And this is, you know, actual studies. And I'll even go further here. Imagine this. In this study, most people that thought of someone as intelligent actually thought they were they were actually blunt as well. So intelligence and someone being intelligent and being associated with being blunt was actually at 50%. And someone being intelligent and polite was at 30%. So imagine that. Like, imagine, like, if you view someone as intelligent, you're more likely to view that person as intelligent because they are also blunt. Or, in this particular case, that, you know, being blunt is actually a sign, a, a larger sign of intelligence versus being polite. So if I'm a polite person, 
I am more likely or excuse me, I am less likely to be intelligent versus actually being a blunt person, which gives me, or at least the audience, an indication of that, in fact, that I actually am more intelligent. And these numbers really, you know, piss me off. They, they really, really bother me. And, and they should bother you too, right? Imagine that. So imagine like what you're actually up against. And so, so how do we actually make this better? And how do we actually focus on something that we actually can control? Because I do... I do to a certain extent, agree with Epictetus in that, you know, you know, trying to change someone's impression of us may debase our character, but doing things specifically as part of our nature and part of our habits actually can change things around for us when we do have the opportunity to give out our first impression. I'm sure you'll agree with me there. One thing that's really interesting to mention here before I sort of get into the practical level of details that I want to share with you today is that, you know, good impressions get better performance reviews versus great work, but don't manage impressions well. So those of us that are able to make great impressions in our work, but actually don't have very strong, you know, competence in the work that we actually do, if we're actually making a much better impression, we're more likely to get a better performance review than those who do their work really well, but don't have really good impressions. And that's, and that's quite interesting. I don't think a lot of you would be surprised by that. But, you know, getting to something really, really even more specific here that I want to share with you is as follows. And this is actually also part of this study, but it's a part of the study that I truly do feel w would resonate with you as we discuss our topic today. And that is that the majority of our impressions and the majority here is 80% of our impressions are based on two things, warmth and competence. Meaning if we are going to meet someone in a professional setting, the impression we're going to generate of this person, the majority of that impression, 80% specifically here, is going to be based on their warmth or the warmth that we actually feel and the competence that we actually feel through an individual. So the, the warmth and the competence of a particular individual. So I think that is quite telling. And that's sort of like my little like X factor silver lining here in our conversation on how it is that we can control impressions through warmth and through competence. And despite whatever sort of scenario you may find yourself in, like my client was this last week, if we can actually manage strong impressions from the get-go through warmth and competence, then scenarios like that, where they're used as punching bags, will not have lingering and ripple-like effects for the remainder of the duration of their career at a specific organization or a specific company or a specific vocation, et cetera, et cetera. I really, really hope we can come to an understanding here of why it is I chose to speak about this today and why it is I extracted this point in particular about our conversation today. Because there is so much that is outside of our control. There is so much that happens that really just throws us off and, and makes us, you know, makes us really just become taken aback by things that transpire that we really just did not expect. And yes, you know, Rami will be the first to tell you that, you know, this is life unfolding in front of us. And as we grow in our professional careers, we're going to experience a lot of this stuff. And yes, it's almost sickening. It's almost sickening that people are viewed as much more intelligent when they are actually blunt 
and impolite versus being intelligent through being polite and kind and amicable, right? And that's just like, you know, how human nature actually views a lot of these people, people that complain, people that are typically very negative in nature, have much more likelihood of being more intelligent than others that are not. And that's just crazy, right? It's sickening here. But the silver lining here as it relates to us, as it relates to you, right, is this idea as well that our impressions are formed, 80% of them, through our warmth and competence and our perceived competence. And so we're going to be talking about that today. So it's kind of like, okay, Rami, all of this stuff, you know, got me a little worried here. I'm going to go read that article. I'm going to go find who Teresa is and read this article from the early, I believe, 1980s here. And, and, I, and I'm going to find out what this whole thing is about through these use cases that you put together. But in fact, you know, we're going to be focusing on the, the, the warmth and, and the competence side of things here today. So let's start with warmth here. So like, how do we actually show that we are warm people? And especially, especially, especially during this like virtual time, I, I get this question asked implicitly almost all the time. Like, how can I show that I'm a warm person? I think everybody listening right now would agree with the fact that, yeah, I, I wanna show that I'm a warm person. How am I going to show that? Some of you may be thinking, Rami, I can actually show I'm a much more warmer person virtually than I am in person. And, and kudos to you if you fall on that side of the spectrum because it means that you know, you're know you in a good place right now. Nevertheless, still very, very important information here that I'm going to share with you. And that is, you know, how do you become a warm person? Like, How do you actually show that you are a warm person? Because it's really, really important because it directly aligns with making a good impression. So I'm not going to chicken out here as your coach and just say, you know, we need to be warm and we need to show competence. And if we do that, we make a really, really good impression. Um, I'm going to go into some details here of like, how do we actually come across being warm? And I'm going to be very mindfully of the fact that, you know, things are very virtual and will continue to be very virtual for the foreseeable future. And so taking that in mind, number one here, sincerity, right? No brainer here, but sincerity and how it is you actually show up. So, you know, before, before you tell me how much you know, show me how much you care. For those of you that are in career transitions, you know, obviously studying the mission, the vision of the company, the product, the service, the people, the culture, you know, showing how much you care that way versus how much it is that you actually know. Looking at what your potential interviewer posted, uh, what they liked, um, articles they may have published on Medium, on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. YouTube videos that they may have appeared in speaking about the company, really just showing how much it is that you care. But, but virtually here, how do you actually do that? Let's say you're conducting a meeting or you're, an in, you're an in, in, in an interview, how can you show sincerity and how it is that you actually show up? I'll say a couple of things here that a lot of people actually typically forget. And that is, you know, questions like, you know, can you hear me okay? You know, can I just make sure that I get a pulse of, you know, my, my sound or, or can you actually see me all right? Or for example, if things actually do freeze up, you know, I would actually encourage you to say, you know, I just want to interrupt and pause for a minute. It looked like things may have frozen up. I wanted to make sure that you actually heard what I was saying, or if you'd like, I can actually repeat that. These are very subtle things, but they're actually quite sincere. Showing up early, for example, to a conversation is another one, right? And I think that's a lot of sincerity in how it is that you show up. Being thankful and, and showing a lot of gratitude for a person's time and how it is that they're actually showing up. 
trying not to ignore at times that there are other sounds going on, right? So if you heard, for example, like, you know, a child in the background or a dog barking, for example, you know, not, not ignoring that, for example, but, but recognizing it and celebrating it, right? Even, even in some way, you know, acknowledging, you know, how difficult it may be to show up when there are so many other competing interests going on. That's what you, what I mean here by sincerity and how it is we show up. And if you're like my client that presented in front of 100 people last week, you know, thanking everyone for their time, you know, thanking them, you know, directly if possible, a, a follow-up email if possible, um, a follow-up note, a summary, for example, that level of sincerity really generates so much warmth. A good morning, a good evening, a thank you. It's wonderful to be with you today. I feel so blessed to be amongst you, right? That is that level of sincerity that truly generates a lot of warmth. And of course, I want this to be totally authentic and genuine to you. But ask yourself, you know, how can you be more sincere? How can you show up in a more sincere way? A second thing that we can actually do to show warmth, to exhibit this level of warmth is, you know, talking about causes that we care about, but also causes that we're actually involved in. So if we're rewriting our resumes, um, if we're adding, you know, a new section to our LinkedIn profile, you know, really being able to showcase, you know, some causes that we actually care about, but also those that we are involved in. I think that shows a lot of warmth, especially if those causes are very much aligned with, with helping someone who doesn't have, you know, or was not born with the sort of resources, tools, education, opportunities that you have had available for yourself. And for those of you listening to me today, at any time of day, at whatever year, whatever month this is, you know, you know yourselves, right? But just being able to exhibit some causes that you actually care about, but especially those that you're involved in. But what about here, like, you know, kindness in your outreach, you know, making things less transactional in nature, you know, finding specific things, for example, about someone's profile that stand out, that allow the other person to talk openly about. I had a client a few weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, how can we actually have conversations with recruiters, for example, who typically have, you know, 10 to 15 conversations with prospective candidates almost every single day. So we got this conversation. How do we actually differentiate ourselves here? And I think one thing that we actually propose to ask to a recruiter or a hiring manager, and one, by the way, for our purposes today, that I would encourage you to ask yourself is, you know, what's a question you wish you were asked more? What's a question you wished you were asked more? And for those of you, you know, in your current companies, I would encourage you to ask these questions in open forums. Like, what's a question you wish you were asked more? And, and this could be directly to your manager. This could be directly to someone you, you spoke with for the very first time. But it could also be a question that you would ask yourself. And I think it's a very, very beautiful and telling question as well, because it gives a great indication of our emotional state. And typically it leans warm here. Typically it leans warm here when we ask, the, when we ask what, what is it that we wish we were asked more of. Another one here, which is the obvious one, I think you feel this, you know, in my times with you because I'm just so excited and I feel so blessed and privileged to be amongst you is smiling, especially when we're, you know, doing things virtually, you know, being in a room where we, we, we are not interacting with someone physically 
um, and we're doing things virtually here, I would encourage you to smile, especially those of you that have virtual backgrounds going on. Those virtual backgrounds typically spark, you know, some level of emotion or level of significance or, or level of perception of you. At the very, very least, you know, perhaps what is it you value or even just like your mood or something near and dear to your heart. Remember, no matter what that is, smile, you know, smiles can be totally infectious and contagious at times. And if you smile, right, not only will you get the other person more likely in a better, more loosened up mood, but you actually get yourself in a much more loosened up mood as well. So smile, I think that is a really, really great way of exhibiting warmth. That's probably quite obvious, right? So, so let's go a little bit deeper here. Vulnerability, vulnerability, right? You know, talking, talking about points and periods of your life where you had to go through an enormous amount of sacrifice that perhaps shaped you to who it is that you are today and being able to express those openly. Many of us struggle to do that, especially virtually, but you'll find that so many people um, are just waiting for someone like you to express something that you have gone through that has had so much meaning and significance and the way it has actually shaped your life. And you being able to express that and show vulnerability here does a world of good, not just for those that are listening, but, but to yourself, right? And, I, and I'm one to believe that when something is typically not spoken of, it typically actually becomes much more meaningful, right? And many of times what is not being said is, is what actually should, should be said. <laughs> what is not being said is actually what should be said. But you know, doing so in a very vulnerable way um, and showing that level of vulnerability really generates amount of warmth. So I would imagine like, for example, if you were my client last week, I believe that if he actually showed a lot more vulnerability and warmth with his managers, with senior executives, you know, in in, this, in his particular organization, he probably would have had or been cut a little more slack in his presentation, presuming it was deserving of, you know, scrutiny, of course, right? Because he was able to show this level of vulnerability, talking about something that happened in his life. But what about going out of your way for someone when it really doesn't do much for you? There's no real personal gain because of it right? You may get, you know, a sign or a signal or a call out of, of appreciation, but it really like it doesn't, doesn't increase your salary. It doesn't accelerate your career. It doesn't really do anything perhaps tangible for you in that, in that, in that sense. But going out of your way for someone and showing that you've gone out of your way for someone, and this could go back to sort of like the causes that we care about, really generates a level of warmth. So if you went out of your way to coach somebody, to mentor somebody, to teach somebody, to share something with somebody that could be struggling, we see that all the time, right? I can't count how many times I'm going through my LinkedIn feed and I see that someone is struggling with something or someone's asking a question about something. But few of us, I think it's, it's such a small percentage, I'm not gonna go into the exact numbers here, but it's in the single digits of, of percentages of actual people that read it and actually do something about it. In fact, we may read it and many of us actually inadvertently feel good that we're not that bad. We don't have it that bad for, for ourselves, right? Bad enough to where we've actually openly expressed you know, our whims and our woes and, and asking people, you know, in desperado mode for help, but going out of our way to help people like that, 
and actually being able to, to share that, right, um, in a conversation, not because we want to toot our own horn, so to speak, but just to show the level of warmth and compassion we have for others, that significantly increases our chances of making a very warm impression of ourselves. Another one here is, you know, in a conversation with someone in an interview or in a, in a networking conversation, really truly taking the time to think about what's in it for them. Like, why is it that this person wants to hear what it is that I have to say? And what would they actually like me to talk about versus what I would like to talk to them about, right? And just make sure there's some balance here, be, you know, for what's in it for them. For those of you that are entrepreneurs, you have your own businesses, you know, not just thinking about your customers, right? But thinking about your customers' customers. You know, how, do, how does my customer's customer pay my customer money so that my customer can pay me money? right? What's in it for them? I think being able to really just showcase this in a conversation by saying that you've done some research or you've put in some thought into this really generates a level of warmth with the person that you are interacting with. And that certainly contributes to a very positive impressionability, of course. Another one is, is recognition. And this is a huge one. If we go across multiple organizations and multiple companies, we'll find time and time again that recognition is a point of contention for so many leaders in organizations. How do I recognize my people? How do I recognize my peers? How can we be an organization that has a culture of, of, of recognition? And actually, what does recognition truly mean? I mean, is it, you know, recognition for you know, giving people more money, promoting them, giving them opportunities to speak more, to lead a meeting, to really just give their opinion in a forum with a large audience, giving them that trust and empowerment, right? Recognizing others, or at least showing that you are someone who recognizes those that really had a positive influence in your life. You know, I'll share a little secret with you. For those of you that have worked with me one-on-one -on -one or I've taken the program, you'll know that I, that I hyper-focus on our LinkedIn summary. Specifically, I hyper-focus on a question that I ask you in our one-on-one -on -one sessions or in the program itself, which is, what do you attribute your success to? And, and part of why I do that is because, you know, it shows not only our values, but it shows our vulnerability. Our vulnerability in what here? Our vulnerability of of Perhaps it could be sacrifice. But in this particular case, our ability to recognize others that have contributed to the success of our careers. That level of recognition is huge. And it actually shows so much warmth and compassion, right? Because we're actually recognizing those that contributed positively to our careers that shaped us into this positive force that we are today. And that is extremely important, right? For those of you that are seeking your career transitions, that are building up your personal branding, you know, those of you that are having these conversations with people for the very first time, and those of you that are actually working in organizations where opportunity after opportunity is passed up 
to recognize individuals when you actually could have done so on multiple occasions, right? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. That which we want most, in this case, it could be recognition, uh, but very much also is a positive impression that we want to be making, is, is, is something that we must be prepared to give away. Meaning, if we want to have recognition for ourselves, well, we should actually be giving recognition to others. So again here, you know, giving people the opportunity to speak, to lead a meeting, call-outs of appreciation in larger forums, explicitly telling someone that you appreciate them, right, and, and saying thank you, right? This level of recognition is starkly different than the recognition that you'll actually see, you know, in most major news journals or even in your, in your feeds. And that is like, you know, recognition through adoration, which really doesn't last. It actually lasts more when you're probably deceased, which obviously I wish you very, very long lives, you know, but it actually lasts more to your deceased than you actually are when you are alive. And so in this particular case, focus on, you know, how you can recognize people more. Appreciation is another one, right? But not necessarily appreciation of like, you know, just being appreciative in nature, but explicitly being appreciative in nature, like gratitude in a conversation. I mentioned this earlier, right? You know, saying thank you, like literally thank you for your time. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate having the opportunity to learn from you, to interact with you. Um, I think, you know, not too long ago, it was like world boss, like appreciation day or something like that. And I was like, we don't necessarily need a day like that to show appreciation for our bosses, but, you know, being able to show appreciation by explicitly telling the other person how it is that, you know, they have impacted you um, in a very positive way. So being appreciative in nature, I cannot emphasize how important that is in any form of discussion, explicitly showing gratitude. And lastly here, as I speak through warmth before I sort of like jump into competence is, no surprise for those of you that know me really well, you know, contribution, right? Sharing your experiences on a larger platform to a larger audience with no fear of any sort of like retribution or what other people are going to think or, you know, your pea-sized ego shrinking even further here, but, you know, imparting your wisdom on others, right? And for those of you that are wondering, like, how am I going to do so in a very impactful way? Think about your target market. I may have said this before, but I'll say it again. If you're presenting to a large audience, so let me make this even probably more impactful. Back in the day when I was in person presenting to larger audiences, literally in person, what I would do is I would actually deliberately ask a question that alluded to the people that truly were going to be aligned with what it is that I could provide, like the services that I actually could provide. So here the same thing is, imagine yourself asking someone a question or asking a very, very large subset of people a question. And you wanted those that would respond to this question to raise their hands, right? They're going to raise their hands. They're going to say, yes, me. I certainly resonate with that. That's me. Yeah, you're speaking to me, right? Perhaps in the way you contribute, you can actually really sort of like narrow down what it is you choose to contribute so that only those people will react in a way that is, in fact, deliberate in nature. That was your, not just deliberate, but intentional in nature to come back and speak to you, if that's the way you want to take this. But in general here, just being able to contribute, 
right? Contribute, you know, again, speaking to your skill set and your expertise. And lastly here again on the on the warmth part, you know, imparting your wisdom again on others. But but speaking of wisdom here, you know, let let's 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 jump into competence, right? Because we mentioned earlier that 80% of the impression that we give towards others is comprised of warmth and competence. So we've gotten the warmth down here. And by the way, you know, there are several other ways that we can show warmth, right, in a conversation. I have just picked the ones that have been very effective with my clients over the years, and I wanted to share those with you here today. So I shared 10. I'm sure there are hundreds, but I wanted to share 10 that I felt like really would resonate with you and be much more impactful and practical in nature um, as you think about how you can exhibit warmth. But let's jump into competence, right? What is competence here? How can we actually show competence? And I haven't forgotten what I promised earlier and the fact that, you know, I want to sort of like use these examples to actually be very practical in a virtual setting because we're going to be very virtual for the foreseeable future, right? But how can we show competence? How can we show understanding, right? How can, how can we do that in our conversations, in our actions at work? How can we actually do that? Well, number one, I, I think it's quite obvious here. And if you think it's obvious, I would still encourage you to do it anyways, right? Because a lot of people have got so many distractions here, right? There's like a famine of attention. And I think the more and more and more, you know, we go into virtual, a virtual world, a digital world, that famine, I'm not even sure what, what could be more than just a famine, but let's just call it the actual famine of attention here, right? It's, it's going to become even worse. So many competing interests, competing things for our attention. Let's just first here, as we try to show competence, really just understand who it is we are going to be speaking with. And ask yourself the next time you're going to a meeting at work or next time you're going to be speaking to someone in an informational interview or even in a formal interview, of course, here, you know, we want to be researching who it is we're actually speaking with. You know, what was the last time you went to your boss's LinkedIn profile? When was the last time you actually went and looked at who it is you're going to be interviewing with, but actually went and looked at the, the posts that they actually liked, the articles that they actually shared? the recommendations that they not only received, but they actually gave. Few and far between do people actually do any of this. And so I want you not just to research this stuff once, but twice and thrice, because a lot of people sort of like find different things that they latch onto. And all of a sudden, our values seem to start changing over time, because they do. And uh, we, we, we just don't keep up with this stuff, right? So I would encourage you, for those of you that are not seeking your next career transition, but are looking to up-level yourselves at work, to really seek this information out. And obviously, for those of you that actually are seeking your next career transition, really just understand who it is you're speaking with. And yes, that also means profiling these people. What I mean by that is, you know, profiling usually has a negative connotation. I like to think of it as a very positive one. So if I had a whiteboard, I would say, look, this person had this particular career. This person has posted this many things about this particular subject. It seems that there's a consistency with how this person is recommended. And there's a consistency in what it is that they value through the recommendations that they've actually given. And so that's what I mean by profiling an individual. The way they write about themselves is very quantifiable in nature. This person probably appreciates more 
quantifiable aspects of my career. I should focus in on those things. Or this person feels that they are very collaborative in nature. Maybe I should ask them a question about that. That's what I mean by profiling somebody. Okay, so just for the record here, you know, who it is we're actually speaking with. And if you're like my client this last week, really just understanding who it is they're going to be speaking with and, and what about these particular individuals could be very, very important. I'm not sure if my client did that, but in fact, you know, I think this is a very, very fair question to ask and remind ourselves of. Number two, the scope, right? For those of us in an actual career transition, this is the scope of the work, scope of, scope of the role. Basically, what this really just means is in order to be successful in this position, I know that I must be able to do these things. I would have to be doing these things. It would be required of me to do these things. That's what I mean by the scope. For those of you that are up-leveling your career, you know, that are, you know, in, in, in a position of, you know, having to present, for example, or just running meetings, really, really focusing in on what the scope of those, that, that meeting is going to be. Meaning today we're going to be talking about this. Today, we're out to achieve this. I would hope that by the end of our meeting today, we come to a decision on this, right? That's what I mean by setting the scope. If you really, really want to promote the level of competency you have as an impression, set the scope beforehand, uh, before you actually start. And for those of you that are fielding questions in an interview or even fielding questions in a presentation, clarify and verify, repeat it. Repeat what you actually were asked and ensure that you really understood the question. And for those of you that are really, really good at this, you know, make sure that you address the implicit just as much as you address the explicit. You could say it explicitly or you can explicitly say it as you implicitly understand it, if you know what I mean. Okay, so number two, the scope. Number three here, which is really important, is how you, yes, you, are the best person for the job, how you are best positioned for what's at stake, how you can provide compelling reasons behind why you are best fit to run this particular meeting, to run this particular show, to actually be the best candidate for a particular role. Bring it back to you. And there's beautiful ways on how to do this. And I'm not going to get into them today in the interest of time, but just remember, like, you know, we, we, we understood who we're speaking with, we understood the scope, or we actually explicitly said the scope, but how is it that we are in fact best positioned to take this on, whatever that may be, that explicit in nature very, very much supports a compelling reason of why we are in fact very much competent, right? Don't shy away from doing this. A lot of people actually do, or they presume that other people actually know. I would encourage you to explicitly say, you know, why you are best positioned for this. So it's almost like asking you the question of, you know, what are the top three reasons why you believe you would be best suited for this particular task, role, whatever it is, right? And using those examples, those three examples that you would respond to me with and injecting those in to the conversation. And for those of you that are wondering, like, how can I do this, you know, in a meeting or in a larger, broader conversation, this is sort of like where we got to be creative and how it is we talk about what we have done or what we intend to actually do. But remember, showcasing that you are in fact the oracle, the nucleus, the platform, the facilitator, right? Whatever you it is you want to call it and whatever sort of like setting this actually is, but you are the one 
right, that can get the job done. It's you, right? So that's, so that's number three here. Number four, you know, wh- why it's important. Let's make sure that we understand the big picture. You know, what's at stake, right? What is it that we can do, right, that supports the business, the mission, the vision, right? Understanding the big picture, trying to get this macro level, the aha, right? And many of times I talk about, you know, a process orientation versus benefits orientation. And I encourage you to focus on the benefits first. Why? Because benefits, big picture, big picture, benefits, benefits, big picture, big picture, benefits, right? So understanding why it's important, understanding the big picture, explicitly being able to say this or showcase this definitely contributes to a very strong competence level. And that's very, very important for us to actually do. And what I want you to do after that, I want you to go back to the third step. So here we are, we're going back to the third step, how you right, are the one that's going to be able to support that, bringing it back to you. I'm always going to bring it back to you. So it's like this balance, like this tiptoe sort of tango between us understanding the scope, bringing it back to us, and us understanding the big picture, how it contributes to the mission, the vision, the business, bringing it back to us, right? And then what do we do now? We're going to bring it back to what it'll take to be successful. What will it take to be successful? Collaboration, communication, resources, technology, a ripe economic climate, then we all wish for that, right? A stable one at least. Strategy, process, change, adoption, implementation, metrics. These are things, you know, that we can always mention on what it takes to be successful and being able to showcase our understanding of this and injecting so much of going back here to us, you, how we are the ones that have done this before, how we actually understand this, right? And this certainly very much relates to our themes, compelling reasons why we would be the right person for this job or why we in fact are in control of this particular aspect of our professional careers, lives, title, impact, influence, spearheading a particular campaign, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on here. But understanding and explicitly stating what it's going to take to be successful is very much one of the strongest contributors to showcasing your level of competence. And this is why we reverse engineer things a lot, right? Because we understand what it's going to take to be successful. If you can understand and exhibit and showcase, even if you don't know exactly what it really is going to take, but understand what it's going to take to be successful, that is huge. That very, very much contributes to a level of confidence. And above all else here, like, and, and, and when, I, when I say all these, these, these things, right, this warmth and competence here, it's sort of, I want to sort of like bring it back to where it was when we first started, which was this idea of like impressions and how they're so important and how we mentioned things that really just like, you know, don't make us feel so good about what it is that we're up against. At the very, very least at times, don't make us feel so good about, you know, how how we humans interpret and interact with what we believe deemed to be intelligent, right? But I want to bring it back to Epictetus one last time here. You know, we cannot control 
the impressions others have of us. And the effort to do so only debases our character. Well, I will disagree here and in, in, in just from the framing of, of, of context and that we sort of can control. We maybe can't control, but we certainly can influence, right, what other people feel about us and what their impressions are of us. I mean, I want you to truly believe this because you should believe it. It's, it's positive to believe. And you must believe that you can actually, in fact, influence what other people's impression is of you. And if you can practice what it is that we talked about today and just a very, very, you know, just small, subtle, yet, you know, significant way over time, I truly do believe that you'll find a lot of positive reaction to the impression you're trying to make, a very uh, unaligned an, an one, so to speak. And, you know, I'll, I'll leave it with this. Going back to something that I mentioned earlier, I, I truly would love for you to think about this today or whenever it is that you listen to this. And that is, you know, what question do you wish you were asked more often? Like literally, what question do you wish you were asked more often? I, I truly believe if you can actually ask yourself that and try to understand why you ask yourself that, you can really, really use that as a foundational, fundamental sort of like element into, you know, our impressionability. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. If you've gotten this far in my podcast, I'm hoping that means that you love my coaching content. If you'd like to continue the journey with me on a much deeper, personal, and immersive level, please visit my website at bramibalut.com and schedule a 45-minute real talk session with me. You can also enroll my online program at theworkingant.com and join me for five months of weekly live group coaching where you can ask me your questions live in a group coaching setting. Use code PODCAST for an incredible discount at checkout. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Your career fulfillment is so important to me. You deserve nothing less than that. I truly hope you take what we talked about today and use it deliberately, practically, and strategically to accelerate your next career transition, conversation, or simply just to nourish your personal and professional life. If you'd like to receive periodic content from me, please visit RamiBalut.com and register for my mailing list by signing up to receive your free ebook, which by the way, is an awesome ebook, if I may say. Until next time, this is your host and coach, Rami Balut, signing off for today's podcast on The Working At. Remember, if not you, then who? If not now, then when?